0: Hello and welcome to Adaptivist Live Team Titans, the stories of people with unique perspectives on work itself, defining or breaking processes, building tools, leading teams, and anything in between. I'm your host, Ryan Spilkin, and joining me as co-host today is the one and only Petula Neal. Petula, thank you so much for taking the time to record with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Uh, It's a lovely diversion from my day activity of being a project manager here at Adaptivist. our team primarily is working with contracts, pre-sales, day-to-day management of engagements. So this is a legit treat.
0: Now you uh, have scheduled in time uh for this, I assume, and you know exactly where to track your your ticket, right? You got all that?
1: Yes. You I was very impressed. I usually <laughs> don't see this kind of organization outside of professional services. I actually had someone to log my time for this. So thank you.
0: <laughs> well, you're welcome. Now, one of the reasons that I wanted so bad to have you as a co-host for this episode is because you podcast in real life. Tell us about your your side hustle podcast.
1: Yeah. Well, in in my, I'm not going to call it youth, in my younger, old period, I <laughs> used to podcast about movies. Uh, that's not a thing as much right now. So uh, for the past a little over a year, I've been the co-host of Back Issue Bloodbath. It's a podcast primarily about comics, not just really old ones, but old, new, bigs, independents, a strong recommendation for one I recently read called Living Heroes, an independent comic by Stephanie Williams. And it's a mashup of the TV show Living Single and all of the, a lot of the Black female Marvel characters. So imagine them living together in a New York apartment Having Salty Storm as your roommate who, when the air conditioning goes out, only uses her powers on herself. Uh, And also Jessica Jones brings a very not great potato salad. So we love our allies, but just because you're invited to the cookout doesn't mean you should try to go for one of those big dishes, y'all. Okay,
0: True. Good advice. We're going to have to talk about this when it comes to macaroni and cheese, but that's another time. And... Joining us today as our special guest is Adaptivist software engineer, Tiffany Wortham. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us on Team Titans.
2: Yeah, thank you.
0: Tiffany has written several blog posts that are available at Adaptivist.com and some scripts that you'll find on the Adaptivist library and uh, has recently been promoted to full-time software engineer. So Tiffany, how did you even get started in software engineering?
2: So way back in the day um, when I was in high school, actually my freshman year of high school, um, I got put in this HTML and CSS class um, that I did not ask to be in. Uh, I had no idea what it was. I thought I was gonna be in a study hall that hour. Um, My school counselor just put me in it. Just, you know, I don't know why. Um, I'm glad she did though. Um, So, you know, I go to this class um, I start doing it, and I'm like, "Oh, actually, this is pretty cool. I like this a lot." Uh, so then, my senior year, my school was offering a programming class. Um, I took that, and then I decided, yeah, I think I want to go to school for computer science. So that's what I did, and the rest is history.
0: Now, Tiffany, if when I was in high school, if I had been placed in a class that I was I didn't want to go to. On that first day, if it didn't grab me, I'd have been out, right? Mm -hmm. What grabbed you? What got you going?
2: I mean, I just thought it sounded cool or at least interesting because, you know, prior to this, I really had, you know, almost no exposure to like coding of any kind. Um, Well, except for like, I guess, like, Minecraft like with Minecraft you know like people like doing modding and stuff like that and you know all of that kind of thing so actually maybe that's why like I think I was like kind of like a little bit exposed to this stuff through Minecraft and then I was like oh like well it looks well, it seems kind of cool this is kind of like you know that stuff so that's probably why actually.
1: So when I was probably older than you but younger than I am now one of the the things in JavaScript I found the coolest the first time I used it was, uh, well, two things, uh, rollovers and redirects. Things that are like very useful or very flashy, like mm-hmm. appeal to me. So when you were first learning to code, what was the one of the first things that you did? You thought, oh, that's super cool. Oh, that's dead useful. And people should be, you know, building this in every page they make or every mm-hmm. application.
2: Interesting. So. When I was in that class, it was very introductory, so like we barely got into any JavaScript. I can't even remember if we like got into like anything like that. But like, I think probably a moment that I felt like that was probably probably happened more um, in that programming class that I took my senior year, um, and it was in Visual Basic. <laughs> so that was a fun time, but it was basically just like creating these like applications. We like our final was to create this uh, like a game of like Yahtzee. Um, And I think that that was pretty cool. I was like, oh, I can just like make a game. Like I could just like program a game. Like that's pretty cool. I mean, it's Yahtzee, so it's not like, you know, a blast. But I was just like, wow, okay, cool. I can do stuff like this. That's
1: awesome. I had a I had a touring class and I don't mm. think we did anything more exciting than like a number randomizer. Although yeah. now after watching the movie about the whole code breaking thing, that makes more sense. You know what? Shouts to you, Mrs. Baroda.
0: That was like <laughs> actually legit. Okay, hold on, Tiffany. Okay, yeah. hold on. But Tiffany, I I personally love Yahtzee. You do. (laughs) So like just to say that it's not a blast, I have to take exception to that because, man, can I get down on a game of Yahtzee? Wow, good. Cool. (laughs) So you are based in Springfield, Missouri. Mm -hmm. You got your bachelor's in information science at Missouri State University. What was it like doing your studies there?
2: Yeah, so doing my studies, um, studying computer science at Missouri State um, was, you know, some of the classes were great, you know, Some of, sometimes I had a blast, like some of them were pretty boring, honestly, but it was cool. Um, I would say the classes that I enjoyed the most, though, were my philosophy classes, which I minored in philosophy. And honestly, like, I think I kind of just liked the humanities department a lot better in general. And like the classes that I had there, I found a lot more interesting. And I guess I more thought of my computer science classes as like, me, you know, learning my trade or whatever. Um, you know, but I, I did learn a lot. Um, and it, who knows, I don't know, maybe if it would have been switched, like maybe if I had majored in philosophy and minored in computer science, that um, I, you know, maybe I would find my philosophy classes to be a chore and then really enjoy my computer science classes. So maybe it's just whatever your focus is becomes a chore. But, you know, I don't know. I'm glad that I got to study both. What
1: concept in philosophy really sort of blew blew the back out for you and like really opened your mind? For me, I took one philosophy course and there was this whole discussion around happiness versus uh, content,
2: mm-hmm. being content.
1: Like content can be sustained, but happiness is sort of fleeting. Mm-hmm. And that really stuck with me.
2: Yeah. Mm, that is a... Uh... It's a juicy question. Hmm. I would say probably, um, I don't know. I, I probably couldn't choose like one concept or idea, um, but probably a couple of different things that like grabbed me the most that I found the most interesting um, where I took this um, philosophical ideas in literature class and uh, we read just like Philip K. Dick books And um, I don't know if either of you have read any Philip K. Dick, but like, it's nuts. So good. So rich. Um, Especially probably my favorite was um, The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch. Probably my favorite book of all time. Um, It's like, I don't even know how to like describe it. There's so much to it. But like, if you ever get a chance to read it, you should read that. Um the second thing would probably just be my aesthetics class in general. So like philosophy of art, like what is art actually? Can you define it? What's its function? That class was like incredible. So I would say like those two that class and that book um those are probably my two like favorite things.
0: And does any of the philosophy learning that you did inform your developing today?
2: You know, um, I think it was really good that I studied um, philosophy and computer science side by side, especially in those introductory um, philosophy classes, you know, you sort of learn how to reason, you learn about formal logic and things like that. Um, And I think that is very helpful in sort of, um, I don't know you know, learning to reason, you know, logic, things like that, that really ties in quite a bit uh, with programming, obviously. So I think that helped quite a bit. Yeah.
0: All right, Tiffany. So what philosophy or uh, approach do you take when you're solving a problem? When you get handed a bug or a new feature, where does your mind go and how do you sort of tease out the solution?
2: Mm, Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, It definitely does depend on what it is that I'm working on, you know, whether it's a bug or a feature or anything like that. um, They definitely... Everything takes some kind of investigation, um, but investigation will look different um, for each thing. So like for a bug, I pretty much just jump into the code. The number one thing, you know, the first thing that you want to do is make sure that you can reproduce the bug. Um, so once you've reproduced it, you can start jumping into the code, trying to find out why, um, lots of debugging that sort of investigation is like jumping in, getting right down to the root, trying to track it down. If I'm like creating a feature that is like the exploratory part of it is like a whole, like a lot bigger part of the process before I ever, you know, totally like jump in and like start like trying to go at it. Um, I'm definitely, you know, like kind of like doing a little research on like, okay, what features are similar to this? Um, You know, what code can I reuse? Um, What, you know, classes can I reuse? What can I model this off of? Um, What's the best approach? What are some multiple different approaches? Um, So before I even get started, before I even start writing, um, there's a lot of just thinking um, and forethought that goes into that. If you have to do some
1: refactoring, what's your approach to estimating that? Because I always find it's really nebulous. If somebody says, Mm -hmm. oh, this area of the code requires some refactoring, there's always, that. I feel like that's tougher to Mm -hmm. be able to pin down uh how long that will take so what's your approach there
2: yeah absolutely um hmm i'd say with refactoring i don't know generally my philosophy on uh like estimating how long things are going to take um it's just hard to say sometimes you know i can spitball it but especially with refactoring It's hard to tell. Um, So having a good idea of how long something like that is going to take is not something that I've mastered yet. So.
1: Legit curiosity. I don't think I've ever worked with a developer that's actually good at estimating refactoring. So you're Mm. fine.
2: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I would say I'm not really good at estimating how long, like anything's going to (laughs) take. So, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I've been in
1: (laughs) IT just
2: just over 20 years. Good Lord. Uh,
1: And I've only worked with one developer that estimated perfectly. Her name is Nicole Gia. Shouts, Nicole, wherever you are. And she told me that she just looked at sort of different criteria, including how long it took her to develop something similar in the past. Um, Is it net new or is there, you know, stuff around it that she has to be careful of? And then the third thing was she would come up with a number and then she would double it. After, like, a year of working with her and, like, query, she was estimating stuff down to, like, two hours and, like, was perfect almost every time. I thought she was a witch. I didn't know what was going on. And then, like, finally, after, like, months of me nagging her, just, like, how do you do it? Like, are you a wizard, Harry? Like, please teach the others. She told me that. And then she did that at the end. And then I double it. And then she shrugged and looked away. I just, to this day, that woman wow. is an enigma to me. I... I love her, but she was a mystery.
0: Yeah. Sorry, tangent.
1: Back to you, Ryan. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, no, that's, that's wow. great.
0: Um,
1: so when you're working and you get a regression or a bug, something that used to work and doesn't anymore, uh, what's your approach to that? And also, how do you try to ensure it doesn't happen again?
2: Yeah, so basically, um, and honestly, this is probably what anyone else would say, but um the most important thing is that you know you instead of just like manually testing it, you actually like write a test for it, um, and you make sure that before your fix the test fails, and after your fix the test passes. I mean, you know, it's you know classic, basic, but I mean, really, I don't know. That's that's how you do it. You um, you fix the bug. You make sure that instead of just manually testing it, um, you write a test um, to have there forever. And that's, that's the best way I know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then once you test it, you test it again.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And again. Tiffany, you've had some blogs published on Adaptivist.com and you've added a few scripts to the Adaptivist library that help users of the Script Runner suite. Um, make more out of confluence. Now, these are great pieces the The codes are awesome. If you were given a chance, uh, what other feature or uh, topic would you write about?
2: I would probably write about um so a few months ago, I started doing some uh, work on automating the release process um, for script Runner. So basically, Johnny, um, our team lead on the Script Runner for Confluence team, a, a long time ago, not like a long time ago, but maybe like a year or two ago, he started um, automating the release process because this is something that we wanted to improve. Um, it used to be the case that we released very sporadically, um, not very often at all. Um, but now we release every two weeks. Um, and so in order to make sure that that can happen, we have um, automated a lot of the release process. Um, we've made it pretty like accessible and easy um, so that anybody can do it. Um, we have release manager rotation. Basically, um, every two weeks, someone new um, is the person who is in charge of the release, and that is made so much easier and so much quicker by all of the automations um that Johnny has put in place and all of you know the guidelines that he's written and stuff like that. And I got to help um do some of that automation. Um, so it was just um a really refreshing uh sort of like different thing for me to work on. Um, just like working on you know automated builds and shell scripting and stuff like that. Um, I found that, that was really fun. And also like the integrations that we've done with like Slack and notifications and stuff like that, like automatic notifications. So I would probably write about my time doing
0: that.
1: Well, I bet the DevOps team would have a lot to chirp about on the build Mm -hmm. automation blog entry for sure.
0: All right, so Tiffany, you work in development. And so I'm guessing that the majority of your time is in an IDE, right? You're in a development environment, yeah? Yeah, quite a bit. Now, Confluence, you know, most of our listeners probably know, it's a wiki. So your, your head's in an IDE. Your users, your customers, they're ultimately, they're, they're head down in a wiki. How mm. How do you keep the customer's perspective in mind when you're working on features for them?
2: Mm, yeah, that is a good question. That is, it's definitely something that's really important for me to keep in mind because, I mean, you're right. Like, I use confluence like a little bit you know for like you know i've written like maybe like one one or two blogs or something like that but other than that you know i don't use it like the way that our users use it um and so sometimes i have to remember like who i'm writing this for and what they actually want um so jill our product manager for script runner for confluence she has like so much experience like with confluence like actually as a user like she knows what kind of features she wants or like could have used you know when she was using it like she's just like a wizard at it um, and we were trying to come up with like examples for different scripts that we have like better examples um, and I was like trying to come up with some and I was like oh yeah well like maybe like this would be good or I don't know. And then she was like, well, actually there's this and this, and you have to consider this and that. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess that does make sense, but it's just, it's hard to know, you know, if you don't use it that much. So, um, I think like having Jill on my team helps a lot consulting her about the things that customers actually want and trusting her on that. Um, and also Gunners, um, with UX, um, he has a very good grasp on, you know, what makes sense to users, um, like visually. Um, And so I think having the right people on your team helps a lot to fill in the gaps where you sort of, you know, don't quite, you know, fill in those gaps, I guess. Yeah.
0: Recently at Adaptivist, we had a series of internal... Uh, talks given by our fellow colleagues. And one that I watched and was frankly mind blown by was the UX talk. And the idea of one team working on what the user sees versus the other team um, working on what the thing actually does and connecting those two, that really blew my mind. So Mm -hmm. how do you, as the developer working on the machine in the back, how do you get on with the UX team? What's, What's that like for you?
2: Um, it's good. Um, as you said, you know, our UX team is like relatively new. I don't know how new, but I know that there was a point where we didn't have any sort of UX team and it was just sort of us designing things, which was okay, but obviously, um, not the best, but I pretty much solely, um, you know, work with Gunners on things and he's great. I mean, he sees and understands things about a user's perspective that, You know, I used to think that I understood, but I'm learning that, you know, as I consult him and, like, use his designs, that, like, sometimes there are things that, like, don't make sense to me. And I'm kind of like, why would you do it this way? Um, Which is an indication to me that he has, like, a greater um, uh, perspective on what actually makes sense to users than I do. So. It's nice to have that to um, guide me and fall back on, um, yeah. And as you're working with UX, are you
1: building out like a pattern library for some of these interactions and motion and other things?
2: Um, so basically, so we use um, React and Redux and there are a lot of different components that we reuse and stuff like that. Um, a lot of, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. So. Tiffany, what's next for you here at Adaptivist with your professional development in IT? What's coming up?
2: Hmm. That is a juicy question. Wow. Um, I would say probably, um, you know, I love my team, script runner for Confluence. Everybody on it is great. And, um. I don't know. I want to, I want to keep, you know, working with my team, whatever the team wants to take on. Like I, you know, want to be there with them doing it. Um, I would probably like to see myself doing some more um, like build automation, things like that. Um, You know, some more like similar things to, um, you know, the release automation that we've done, things like that, that aren't necessarily directly working on the product, but help um, our team run smoother in different ways. I think that's something that I really like. Um, So I would like to do more of that. But I don't know, other than that, I just kind of want to keep rolling with my team and we'll see what we can do, you know. And also, um, you know, champion hours, doing stuff like this also, all of that kind of stuff where I get to you know, talk about my experiences or maybe show users something or just things like that. Um, I really like doing that kind of thing. So I hope to be doing more of that in the future, Um, which actually I will be in a champion hour coming up.
0: Oh, yeah. We are going to be uh, hanging out together on a champion hour on April 27th as part of the Adaptivist team talk session. Now, for our listeners who aren't familiar with what a champion hour is... It's your chance to speak with Script Runner creator Jamie Ecklin, Tiffany, and a few other of our Script Runner team about how to make the Script Runner tools do what you need them to do. So we take your questions, we try and demonstrate some examples, we connect you with resources, and we have a generally great time. One last question for you Tiffany. What advice would you give to somebody who is just starting out looking at coding? They're they're just they're playing Minecraft today. Maybe they're picking up coding tomorrow. How would you, what would you, what would you inspire them with?
2: Oh, wow. Um, I love that question. So I would say there's so many resources online, um, like free resources. So, you know, I would go looking for those. Watching YouTube videos is a great way to get started. But I would say my number one tip is um, don't make yourself try to learn in a way that's boring to you like or maybe a language that seems like boring or like something that you don't like Um, when you're learning especially when you're first learning you need to be doing something fun so if that's uh, a particular language if that's you know maybe you learn through game development um, maybe you learn through web design or something um, I don't know you need to do that thing that is fun to you so that you stay motivated and you enjoy the process and your love for it grows um, instead of making it like a chore, I guess.
0: Wonderful. Well, Patula Neal, you have been a tremendous co-host. Thank you so much for joining me today. Please come back and do this again.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Tiffany was one of my first stranger friends I met at a company gathering when I first started, and it was just as delightful talking to her today as it was there. Uh, I will never do shots with you again, though. Uh, innocent face, but no, just no.
2: <laughs> uh. Uh. That's disappointing. I got to say, but I understand. (laughs) Fool me once.
0: Fool me (laughs) once. (laughs) And uh, we will be sure to connect our listeners to to your podcast, uh, Back Issue Bloodbath, as well. So, Petula, thank you. And Tiffany Wortham, you have just been wonderful today. Thank you so much. Your laid back attitude and can do positivity. It's just, you're great to speak with. So, Tiffany, thank you so much.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I had a blast.
0: And thank you listeners for joining us today. Make sure that you connect with us on social media at Adaptivist and let us know what you think about Team Titans or the Atlassian Ecosystem podcast. For Patula Neal and Tiffany Wertham, I'm Ryan Spilkin, and we'll see you next time on Adaptivist Live.